Welcome to the Teach Strong podcast. My name's Sam Hart. I'm a primary school teacher on a mission to help school staff discover truly effective approaches to well-being. And this show is a platform for me to bring you the knowledge and experience of real experts who can break down the research and the tools that we can apply to our everyday lives to feel happier and healthier. Today I'm talking to Dr. Nicola Kahn. Nicola, aka the Family Sleep Consultant, is passionate about helping families and professionals better understand sleep for children of all ages. Through Nicola's training and coaching, she is helping people address this absolutely vital area of well-being. Now, I've been really eager to get a sleep expert on the show for a long time now, so I'm really grateful to Nicola, who has a wealth of experience in this field, for offering us her time. I know from my own experience working in a school and talking to friends and family that sleep is an area that many people are struggling with. You only have to scroll down Twitter for a couple of seconds to find someone who is talking about their lack of sleep and asking for advice. And that's what this episode and and this podcast is all about, helping you educators discover the tools to address the areas of your health and well-being that are a priority for you. During our conversation, Nicola tells us more about the importance of sleep for adults and children and the tips that she offers for young people and for those who work in a school as well. So, enjoy the show. So, hello Nicola and welcome to the Teach Strong podcast. Hi Samuel, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Like I say to all my guests, I just really appreciate the the time that people offer um, to come on the show and talk about their particular area of expertise and you know use this conversation to put it out there to, to, to the teaching audience that hopefully can improve their well-being in whatever different area of lifestyle that we happen to be covering and today we're covering sleep aren't we um yes. and I thought we could start with a quote Nicola I thought we could start with a quote from the sleep expert and researcher Dr Matthew Walker and he describes sleep as the Swiss army knife of health so what does he mean by this I love this quote. It's um, it's a fantastic analogy for sleep. I think it really reflects um, the the multiple ways that we know about and are still learning about that sleep contributes towards physical physical health, mental health, emotional well being. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of information online about different health outcomes that are related to good sleep um, and good quality sleep. Um, a lot of that can feel a bit like scaremongering. It's not necessarily that um, poor sleep causes these outcomes, but there's a lot of um, a lot of things that are related there. Um, but I think that um, that analogy about this Swiss Army knife really shows that sleep can be the tool to address some of these issues, um, and not just about fixing problems necessarily. But it's actually just a great thing for us, a tool that we should all be using, um, something that can help us address multiple areas of functioning in our day to day lives. Um, it's something so practical. Everyone should have that Swiss army knife in their back pocket <laughs> because it's something we do every, all do that every day. If we're good, get, if we're all getting good sleep, um, then loads of positive ha- outcomes can come from that. So it's not just about the avoidance of illness, but it's a lot more about um, what's, uh, what positive outcomes can come from that as well and the different ways that we can address our sleep needs. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And so, well, what are the kind of specific effects that good quality and duration of sleep have on our well-being? And maybe even if I know that you you mentioned we don't want to um, 
you know, be too negative around this, do we? Because that can then cause some some uh, stress and anxiety around sleep. But if if you don't mind mentioning some of the aspects of you know what happens if we don't get enough sleep, or we can just focus on you know the more positive. <laughs> what what effect does good quality and duration of sleep have on our well being? Yeah, sure. I think it's important to know what the negatives are so that we know what we're what we're looking out for. And actually, that can be motivating to to people as well to know what we're what what unhelpful things we're avoiding by getting good sleep. Um, so I think looking at both aspects is really useful. Um, and I'm glad you asked about quality and duration of sleep, because that's something that is um, increasingly being recognised as um, uh, things that have separate impacts. Um, a lot of the conversations I have with parents with schools are about how much sleep people should be getting. Um, but we're recognising more and more that actually it's a, a lot of those positive outcomes are really about the quality of sleep. Mm. And that the duration of sleep is something that's quite variable for different people. Still important. Um, but again, like you said as well, the the worrying about sleep is something that can make all of these things much, much worse. Um, that's really where the psychology of it comes in. <laughs> yeah. So it's really important to to know how to get good sleep and and feel like you have control over that and not be worrying about it too much. Um, in mm. terms of the outcomes, there's a lot of um, the, the health outcomes um not outcomes necessarily, the, 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 the links between health and sleep are to things like, um, uh, uh, things like um, obesity, malnutrition, um, chronic tiredness, um, mental health outcomes, negative outcomes would be things like um, depression, anxiety, all of those kinds of things. Basically, all the sorts of things you could imagine can be made worse um, if we're not getting good sleep. Um, conversely, um, if we are getting good sleep, um, then all of the good stuff can happen. Um, so we, um, I mean, people, I'm sure all of your listeners will have had at least one night of poor sleep um, in their lives. So maybe reflect on how that felt for just one day. Um, and, the, the, you know, getting through the day can be so hard. Um, emotionally, we're less resilient. We're probably a bit more volatile. Mm. Um, our capacity to think through decisions and to plan cleverly, use all of those kind of cognitive functions, um, decline quite dramatically. We're forgetful. Um, we uh, might struggle to um, get on with our colleagues or um, to, to manage our social relationships. And then thinking about how that actually might um the, the cumulative effect of that so one night of poor sleep actually isn't going to have a massive impact we recover from that incredibly quickly humans are very very resilient mm. um but if someone has ongoing sleep difficulties then that stuff starts to build up over time um, and that's when it becomes more concerning um so thinking about how much sleep you're getting but not getting too focused on that and thinking about actually what's the impact of, of my sleep um, am I noticing that I am um, feeling tired during the day? Are my relationships with my friends or family suffering because of this? Um, am I cognitively um, as on the ball as I would like to be? These are all things to consider when you're thinking about the outcomes of your own quality and duration of sleep. Right. Interesting. Yeah. This is something that I've thought about more recently and kind of had my eyes open to the the, the quality aspect where I didn't think about that at all I just thought like you said that it's, it's just all about duration growing up I just heard about you know the seven to nine hours of sleep um which I was always, always pretty good at getting but then sometimes you'd think well I've got that eight hours or even more than eight hours sometimes and I still am waking up not feeling great and that's when you know further further research and finding out the the tips from the experts around you know your environment and your habits just before you go to bed about actually yeah you might be getting the the full eight hours but 
is that a kind of a light sleep and a disrupted sleep? You know, I had a room that was quite um, light even during the night. And so I think I was getting up during the night. Maybe I'd kind of been drinking loads of water, thought I've got to stay hydrated. And of course, that meant I was getting up to go to the toilet in the middle of the night, maybe more than one on more than one occasion. Um, and so it's little things like that that when you find out and I think you can really notice the difference when you've just, I think everyone's felt that, haven't they? When they've had a deep, long sleep and you wake up going, wow. It's that feeling of where you wake up and you go, oh, what? How, how is it? When, you know, I thought <laughs> my head on the pillow and now I'm waking up, the alarm's going off. And that, yeah. I guess that, is, that, is that the goal? That, what, that, is that what we can do every night? Is that what we're aiming for? Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine if everyone across the world every morning woke up feeling that refreshed? Um, yeah. yeah, that would be spectacular. Um, I think the, the the trouble is that people set goals for themselves around sleep that can be unhelpful. And like right. you say, the focus on duration, that's that's a key thing I come across all the time. I'm often being asked how long somebody should sleep for, whereas actually I'm way more interested in how tired they are, what quality was their sleep, um, mm. did they struggle to get to sleep, and the, the more nuanced stuff there. So I think the thing is, if we're paying too much attention to sleep, we're less likely to get good sleep. Um, sure. So there's some kind of paradox there that makes it quite complicated. Um, if we were all sleeping great all the time, we'd never even be thinking about how to sleep. Good mm. sleepers don't have to think about how to sleep. They're not paying attention to it. Um, so we can do things to um, to help ourselves get better sleep. So getting into those good routines, like you mentioned, mm. making sure we're exercising well. Um, eating uh, at the right times, eating sensible mm. food, uh, thinking about our emotional well-being. Um, but actually, the the getting good sleep part is really just part of um, uh, having an overall um, good and healthy life. Really, yeah, something yeah. I promote a lot is thinking about what you're doing during the daytime as well. Because in fact, when you exercise, for example, what time um, you first go and out and get daylight? Um, that's those sorts of things can have a massive impact on your sleep. And people who are struggling to sleep are often really focused on their bedtime routine or um, using their, their smartwatch to, to monitor how many hours of sleep they've had. None of those things are really helping. Not, not a lot, at least. The daytime stuff can be way more useful. Yeah. And I just see so many um, mirrors of that in other aspects of lifestyle and well-being, like, for example, healthy eating. Um, I, I love the fact that you said, you know, good sleepers are not thinking about their sleep too much, are they? It's just that they've set up the habits and the routines to sleep well, and then they don't have to think about it. And I think that's like healthy eating. People say to me, you know, like, you, you seem to be eating healthily all the time. Like, what, what's your secret? And it's like, it's just those habits, isn't it? And, and, and just a little bit of knowledge and then practice practicing it, practicing it and making it the easiest option, that kind of thing. Also with exercise, yeah. I think, you know, we don't need all the, the trackers and the fancy equipment and the really expensive gym uh, membership. If, if that's your kind of thing and you like doing that, that's absolutely fine. I always say that. But at the same time, you know, if you're just looking to get more physical activity, then it can be really basic, can't it? Really simple. It's just about the habits and doing things consistently. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, um, that's I guess we'll probably come to this, but the, a key yeah. role for teachers is promoting that kind of thinking and all of those positive right. outcomes and positive lifestyle um, choices that we can help younger people make um, mm. so that they're not having to worry about sleep. The, the best thing you can do to turn a, a short term sleep problem into a chronic sleep problem is get someone to really worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, of course, it makes sense. It makes sense, but only kind of when you hear it said out loud like you've just done. <laughs> and then I wonder whether we can just touch upon what you just mentioned about getting sunlight in the morning, because this has been a bit of a revelation for me. Um, and mainly I would say that that is due to listening to the Andrew Huberman podcast. I don't know if you know who he is. Oh, I do know podcaster. it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Huberman Lab podcast. And this is a thing. He always says, like, this is what he bangs on about all the time. And he just... Um, you know, he's got a firm belief that this is the one thing that everyone should be doing, getting outside and getting in the sunlight before 11am, even if it's cloudy. And, and that's to do with the circadian rhythm, isn't it? I don't know if you want to kind of take it from there, because I, I know what I've heard about it, but you are the expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is something I also am very passionate about. It's, um, yeah. yeah, we're learning so many interesting things about the impact of light on on human functioning. And, and similarly to sleep, I mean, those two things are so interrelated, but they're both such basic things, um, fundamental to, to our, our functioning as humans, but also things that we can access on a day-to-day basis. So mm-hmm. in terms of prevention of um, those more negative outcomes that we talked about before, these things are, these are very easy things. They're preventative measures that everyone could be using. Um, daylight is something that um, I'm particularly interested in because I've um, struggled with sleep a lot when I was younger, especially. Um, and um, I think like you, I was told how much sleep I should be getting, what time I should go to bed. Those things didn't help me um, because mm-hmm. my sleep needs didn't, didn't, I don't sleep a, as I don't sleep a lot compared to your kind of average um, amount of sleep that people get. So um, trying to achieve those kinds of goals was really unhelpful for me. And it was only when I started to learn more about sleep and started to um, investigate all of these different ways we can improve our sleep that I found that daylight is actually one of the things that has a massive impact for me. Um, we all have different, we all respond differently to all of all of those bits of advice you get, like with the exercise, with the bedtimes, with the duration of sleep, the daylight. Um, all of those things need to be personalized because none of us need exactly the same stuff in order to get mm-hmm. good sleep. Um, so one of the things I did when I was learning about my own sleep was to play around with some of that stuff to see what worked best for me. Um, and the, the two things that had the biggest impact on my sleep was getting daylight early in the morning. As soon as I got mm-hmm. up, go out for a walk. Um, and exercising regularly. Um, So simple, so simple. (laughs) So simple, but it can have a profound effect. Um, And yeah, I I know from my own own experience, it's kind of like my happiest time of the day is when I I know I'm in a very privileged position that even before I go to school and, and teach my year five class, I do kind of create a bit of time you know, we're talking in the summer at the moment. It might not be the case in the winter, but getting outside and getting uh, to the park and reading my book with a with a you know a hot drink or something like that. And there is just something about it. Like at the in the in the moment, it makes me feel great. But I also think that it makes me feel more energized and focused for the whole day. And then I think it also means that I get to sleep that much quicker um, in the evening as well. And I, I guess we've yeah. all felt the effects of that in the winter, haven't we? When we're not getting as much sunlight and and people can be affected that way. Maybe that's another yeah. conversation. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know if you have any it's hard to say kind of any tips around getting out in the morning I guess it's just one of those things just make time for it you know it's really worth it isn't it to make time for it and I know it can be difficult for someone like a teacher who wakes up maybe looks after a family gets them all ready and they're like come on Sam you're telling me to get outside for for 10 minutes really I just have not got the time for that so I I, I don't know the response to that I don't know what you would how you would respond to that 
Yeah, I mean, oh, I have so many views on this. Um, um, I, I think part of the trouble here is that um, a lot, um, a lot of the information we we all receive about our own health now is about what we need to do as individuals. But actually, we're often living lifestyles um, in in our um, mm. in our societies that that make it really hard for us to achieve those things. So then it becomes just another thing we're failing at. Um, yeah. As a psychologist, I'm a firm believer in um, there's a I'm. A, a phrase I heard recently um, that describes my approach, which is push it where it moves, a bit like the game Jenga. So ah. find find where you can manipulate that. What's the easiest thing that you can do? And the getting daylight part, um, I think if you try it out and you feel that you notice it's having a massive impact, you're going to be way more motivated to do it anyway and to, to factor that into your day. But if that's hard for you, then find a simple way to do that. Um, you don't need to go out for an hour-long walk um, in the morning before you start work. Most people are probably not going to be able to do that. But you could drink your morning coffee sitting next to a window. Even that's going to have some impact. Um, anything you can do. I think for teachers especially this is interesting because they're not really in control of their own time. You know, you're working to a to a teaching timetable all day. And I've worked in lots of schools. I know how this is. I know that mm. those, those bits of downtime are so few and far between. And sometimes you've gone the whole day and you've not set foot outdoors. Um, there's loads of reasons why that's not great for your physical and mental health. Um, mm. But, but, but try and, trying to find ways to do that, whether it's just kind of walking around, around the block where your classroom's based for five, yeah. 10 minutes, all of those things will help. Um, and it will help you feel good about yourself as well because you kind of tick that off. You know you've done something good for yourself. The earlier yeah. in the day you can do that, the better because that matches our circadian rhythm. Um, getting Ideally, you're aiming for 20-plus minutes of bright daylight as soon as you wake up in the morning. That's the thing that's going to set you off really well um, for sleep that evening. Um, but anything you can get that's close to that is going to help as well. Right. Yeah, great to hear. And it well, you mentioned about going for a walk around the block around the classroom. That's something that I've shared because I was kind of thinking, right, I've heard this advice from a from a neuroscientist, Andrew Huberman. I've heard it from other people as well. So how does that apply to the life of someone that works in a school? Well, yeah, and, and I posted a video about it quite recently. Well, why don't you try just as soon as you've got everything set up in the classroom, take a little walk around the playground. And like you said, maybe you take your hot drink, your coffee or your tea out and, and, and sit outside in the morning. And the other suggestion I made was, was if you've got a, a, a meeting in the morning that normally you'd be sat down for well well take it outside um or even Absolutely. just you know gra grab a colleague and say you know i think this could I'm, I'm struggling to sleep at the moment i've heard this help so can we can we buddy up and go for a quick five minute walk every morning it, a little yeah. thing like that could be really impactful couldn't it tiny things park your car a little bit further away from yeah, the normal yeah. spot get off the bus uh, one stop earlier i think as well if people um notice that that has a big impact for them on their sleep um then mm. you're weighing up pros and cons here aren't you and and mm. thinking in about how to structure these things into your day but if if that leads to you having a way more restful night's sleep then the the cycle continues from there and you end up being more energized more productive more efficient um, so actually maybe getting up that little bit earlier to go for a walk in the sunshine then starts to become a bit easier. Yeah. And perhaps you are more, like you said, efficient and productive and in getting everything ready in the morning so that then you've created that time and it's just this positive, positive cycle. And the, the other yeah. thing you mentioned about how, well, we're kind of fighting against our 
society, aren't we, and the culture around work and everything. And, you know, I think Matthew Walker is another person that's talked about why do we start school so early? And and maybe that, oh, yes. that we, I won't <laughs> talk about that now. Maybe that might be a deeper <laughs> conversation. But, yeah, exactly. but it's, a, it's another interesting point, isn't it, that I've thought about and maybe listeners have thought about as well, that if we started school later, then especially for teenagers, I think it would be most um, effective, wouldn't it? That, you know, give them the sleep that they actually need, uh, start later. And then also there's so many things that could be fit fitted fit in the morning, uh, like some exercise, like getting outside, like just not rushing around. Um, yeah. But yeah, I won't spring that on you because that's, that wasn't part of one of the questions I was going to. Oh, I love talking beforehand. about it. I'm happy to do it. Oh, really? Maybe that could be a part <laughs> yeah. two. A part two. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come back and do a whole hour on that. <laughs> oh, sounds great. Sounds great. Oh, so, I mean, it's you, you've already offered so many tips um, and it's been great to, you know, see your passion around sleep um, we've heard a little bit about your background in psychology and then and, and and now you're working with families aren't you in schools to help children sleep better so can we move on to to that topic now you know young people is there anything that you'd like to say about why why sleep's so important for young people yeah yeah um i mean thinking about some of those um trajectories of people who have poor sleep um some of those um those negative outcomes that can come from sleep. I think um, childhood is a really fundamental time to start addressing some of those sleep needs and to make sure that um, we're helping children and young people to form really good habits that will um, set them off well into the future. Um, the prevalence of sleep difficulties in this age group is really, really high. Um, I mean, sp especially high in teenagers, but it's um, the, the research says between 25 to 40% of children and young people at any one time have some kind of sleep difficulty or disorder. Um, I think the disorders often go unrecognised as well because they can look like other things. And also young people are not as self-aware, so they're not going to recognise necessarily that it's sleep that might be causing those problems. Mm -hmm. um, those numbers are even higher in populations like uh, groups with special educational needs, children with autism, ADHD, um, and also those numbers have gone up with covid um, as well, which has been quite disruptive to a lot of people's sleep. Um, so all of oh, that, a huge, a huge range of people there within our society who are not yeah. getting good sleep or not getting enough sleep. And I think we they're in school every day. Um, and this is a really great opportunity for us to help them um, develop good habits into the future. Um, they, I think for teachers, especially, this is really interesting because the kinds of things that we see in this age group are really they're similar to for adults in a lot of ways. But um, difficulties regulating emotions and behaviours, difficulties mm. relating to others, difficulties problem solving, all of those kinds of things that come with poor sleep um, have a huge knock on effect to how children get on at school um, and can look like something else. So I think it's fundamentally something that we could be addressing really um, much better um, in a school context because we've got that captive audience there. Um, as I said before, they um, everyone has sleepless nights sometimes um, and, you know, during exam periods and things like that, there, there will be more stressful times um, which will impact on sleep. Um, but um, it's that cumulative effect and that's something that we need to look out for. Um, are, our, are our school children sleeping badly? Often. Um, mm. Or are they getting enough sleep? Are they getting good quality sleep? Um, if they're not, they're coming into school tired, they're not going to enjoy school so much, they're not going to be motivated, they're going to struggle, and that's going to then feed into that lack of motivation as well. So the um, the escalation of those difficulties and the wide-ranging impact of those difficulties can um, 
yeah, can, the the effect can be so lasting and so detrimental. Um, so I think it's a it's a really great um, forum to be addressing some of these needs. Um, the other thing I guess is that we um, children and young people are so reliant on us uh, to help them figure this stuff out, and parents yeah. as well. The um, I work with parents and schools um, because I think that parent for parents these things can be really isolating. Um, if they've got children at home who are not sleeping, that can be incredibly hard for them. The whole family is probably tired. And we all know what it's like to try and problem solve and deal with stuff when we're tired. Um, and they're home alone and they're trying to get their child to go to sleep or trying to get them up in the morning. And maybe the school aren't, don't recognise that that's what's going on at home. Or maybe the school are trying to um, provide some sleep education, but the parent doesn't know how to deal with that, how to, how to mm. implement that stuff. I think it's really important that we're all working together on this stuff. Um, parents often will go to maybe their GP um, if if they have a child that's not sleeping very well but GPs don't have much training in this and they're likely to see that child in their office or in their clinic so actually schools are so so useful because all of those things that we that we know are um, associated with poor sleep are things that teachers can see really easily and can help um, monitor and keep track of yeah no, I think that's uh, such a interesting point to make um, some parallels with nutrition as well lots of people will go to a doctor around nutrition right now and, and and you know i can't speak for every doctor but it seems like that that isn't a massive part of their medical training and yet we see doctors as kind of like the the person that will be able to answer all the questions but maybe they just they they, they haven't had that education so i guess sleep is is the same um situation but um yeah like you said we we've got a captive audience at schools and so my interpretation of what you um, are saying is that we we really should be promoting sleep and talking about sleep at schools because it's not something that I I think was was talked about when I was at primary school you know as a child um, but I think yeah I, I'm thinking more and more well how can I bring it to my school and how can we bring it to other schools like really make this a priority and and and, and get everyone sleeping better because I do sometimes think you know if I've had a bad night's sleep. I'm really struggling with my colleagues and to do my work and to handle things and to focus. So what's it like for a seven or eight year old that hasn't slept as well? It just must be so incredibly difficult. Um, yeah. And so what kind of, are, are there any quick wins, you know, if a, if a mum or a dad, a parent, a carer, whatever is listening to this or teachers are listening, are there any things that you would offer now any any tips that you would offer to help young children with their sleep which I know you've already said is is very individualized so I don't know how easy that question is to answer but if there's anything you'd like to say it'd be I'd be really interested to hear yeah I might I might go a bit wide-ranging on this so maybe you rein me in a little bit but um because there's so there are so many ways um I think mm. teachers actually have um, uh, there's so much potential in schools and with teachers. Um, one of the things that's happened, that's happening more, is that sleep is starting to be included in um, health and wellbeing curriculums. It's kind of late to the party. It's not. It's not been included very much until quite recently. Um, and um, and like with any of those types of um, curriculums, it's it's very much about how it's delivered and how it's embedded. So sleep education mm. on its own um, tends to not have much impact. Um, so I've worked with a number of schools who want to get an expert in to give an hour's talk and talk to parents, students, teachers about how to get good sleep. What tends to have changed there is that they know more about sleep, but they don't really change their behavior. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so 
it's helpful, but not on its own. Um, so I think the key thing really is about working together with um, the experts. And by experts, I mean all of us. Um, I might be the sleep expert, but actually the parents have their own expert- expertise that they're bringing to the table. And so do the teachers, the educators, everyone in the school. Um, working together um, is the most effective way to address this. Um, because of that need for that personalized approach as well, because we can apply that to thinking about a particular child who's not sleeping, but also we can look at our whole school community and think, well, why is our school community not sleeping well? Actually, there are things that we could change at that level that would be really useful. So taking that um, uh, that uh, more collaborative problem solving kind of approach can be really helpful. Um, I think I think one what often can happen is people want to give help and advice on sleep, but it tends to be the really generic stuff. Um, which you can find on the internet, really. Um, and it's another thing that parents might feel bad about um, if they're not managing to achieve those things. Um, so actually, uh, one of my key messages really about how to understand your own sleep better. What do you need? Um, what helps you feel rested? Um, it might be really different to um, what your colleague or your students or um, your, mem- your family members need as well. And how do you... Um, um, how do you then change your lifestyle in order to maximize the things that are going to work for you? So there's no one one size fits all approach. It's also really good to help um, children and young people to start thinking in that way anyway about mm-hmm. their health, yeah. um, because at some point they'll be making these decisions on their own. We don't actually know how much any individual needs, any how much sleep any particular individual needs. They need to figure that out and we need to help them to be able to do that. And it changes over time. It changes um, with hormonal changes. It changes as we get older. It changes with stress, um, Mm. with different lifestyle changes. So actually helping children to recognize what they need um, and helping families and teachers to recognize what they need is, I think, where the good stuff really happens. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like so many other areas of well-being, it's that awareness first, isn't it? Like knowing that this is an important area of lifestyle and thinking, okay, well, what is the situation now? And like you said, I mean, it could be a case of a, a notebook and a pen by the bed, couldn't it? You know, what what did you do? And are you waking up feeling um, refreshed or are you not? And, and what could that be? And then you kind of, you provide yourself with your own answers, your, your own answers, don't you? Um, yeah. Right, interesting. Yeah. So personalised, but then, and, and getting experts like yourself in to really kind of tailor something around that school community and that individual family. Really important. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, useful stuff about sleep hygiene um, all over mm. the internet. I've got a checklist on web, my website, in fact, as well, that's um, that's a kind of um, um, bringing together of all the, 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 the kind of key stuff that I come across that seems to be useful for families in particular. Mm. Um, but I encourage people to look at those things in a, like I say, very personalized way. So here are things that help a lot of people with sleep. Yeah. Work out, do they help you with sleep? Um, so yeah, things like what time did I go to bed? How many hours of sleep do I think I got? Um, did I wake up feeling refreshed? Um, I was, um, I was having a conversation with a family just recently, in fact, who, um, who who said, oh, my, my son's, um, been waking up more often in the night. Um, so we're, we're worried about that. So I asked, well, how did they have trouble getting back to sleep? No, no, back asleep within 10 minutes. Okay. That's actually really common. Um, and how tired are they? Oh, they don't seem any more tired. Okay, <laughs> well, then that's not a problem. <laughs> I can't see any reason why that's a problem. Um, I think we don't we don't spend enough time just thinking about how we feel about sleep um, and whether we do uh, actually feel rested. We expect mm. to um, feel tired, um, and sometimes that's uh, not sleepiness. In fact, sometimes it's uh, fatigue. We're worn out from work. 
or we just expect to feel tired because we stayed up a bit later. Um, but actually spending some time thinking about our own levels of tiredness is really crucial there. Yeah, definitely. And like we said about the, it's that expectation and we have got into that situation, haven't we? That culture in society of, yeah, you're expected to be tired all the time. Um, you know, the amount of times you go into school and say, how are you? Yeah, tired. Okay. (laughs) Everyone is tired. And I, you know, I completely understand that. Um, but how do we get to this situation where everyone is tired all the time and thinks that that's acceptable? Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to live in that world. I want to live in a world where everyone is feeling well rested, which I know might sound a little bit, okay. (laughs) But I'm an idealist too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. And of course, there are jobs, um, where that will not be the case, you know, shift workers and things like that. That's kind of a different story. But if we're a, a teacher going into school, or a TA, whatever position in a school, yeah, you have you have the right to be going into school every every day, feeling well rested and not sleep deprived and not thinking, well, this is just part of the job, so I just need to suck it up and get on with it. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to try and I try to shift the conversation around sleep as well to make it more positive mm. because there is, mm. like I said at the beginning, there's a lot of kind of scaremongering and a lot of talk about how tired we all are. And although I think that's important to acknowledge, um, I think it can get a little bit competitive as well. I've yeah. worked in schools where the culture is, how many hours of sleep did you get last night? Four. Well, I only had three, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, and if if you're promoting good sleep, um, you're you're kind of not fitting within that box. It can uh, it can make people feel a little uncomfortable. Um, I think it's especially difficult for teachers and typically teachers um, have sleep that is is similar to teenagers in some ways in that mm. they tend to feel very tired during the day. They tend to not be getting enough sleep during the week and then they try and catch up on it at the weekends. Um, they are um, It's the sort of boom or bust um, lifestyle that teachers have, I think, whereas where during term time it's you're going flat out. Um, you don't have much of a rest period between stopping work and starting work again. Um, and that's something we know is linked to good quality sleep, having a, a substantial gap there. So you've got an opportunity to get good sleep. Um, so you're not trying to cram it into the specified seven hours or whatever you've given yourself. Um, and and the same applies to thinking around homework. You know that some um, children and young people are doing so much homework, they don't have much downtime Um and then sleep is something that needs to be squeezed into the day. And that's a terrible way to try and get good sleep. <laughs> it adds yeah. so much pressure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so true. Yeah, that, that competition around sleep as well. Like you mentioned, I've seen <laughs> that, witnessed that, witnessed it on social media. So, right. Come on, listeners. Let's celebrate how much sleep we're getting and go in um, you know yeah. try and do our do yeah. our best to address it and then say yeah um you know I've made these changes and now I'm sleeping so much better let me let me share them with you and hopefully yeah. we can create more, yeah. more of a culture around celebrating good sleep and having naps and as then, well I was talking about this the other day <laughs> let's celebrate naps sometimes I have naps and I I, I'm a fan have a nap. oh good good that's good to hear from <laughs> a sleep expert <laughs> but yeah I sometimes have them after school and you know I've shared that and there's something about it though that you feel worried about telling people you've had a nap because oh then they must think well you know well why why weren't you busy like how, how could you not be busy um how dare <laughs> yeah, you have a nap yeah. during the week but another thing that I think we should try and celebrate <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a something maybe about um productivity and the need to yeah. try and seem efficient all the time isn't it I've been working in Singapore the last few years and there's a lot of that kind of talk there um, where like sleep is a waste of time, you know, you need to minimize that because you need to be productive all the time. Whereas actually getting good sleep and getting enough sleep makes us way more productive. And that's the conversation we should be having. And for yeah. teachers, especially, um, 
all of your students are hearing those conversations. So that's all filtering through for them. You know, the, the positive comments we could be making about how, how much good sleep you've had and how great you feel about that and how you've done that. That's fantastic learning for them. We could have a shift here. We could we could shift that culture just incrementally through all of those conversations. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's keep the conversations going for sure. <laughs> and so you've we, we've touched on young children, uh, young people, children, um, and, and what we can do for them. And and we also kind of touched on teachers as well, and what and how we can um, address their sleep. But do you have any other thoughts around kind of the specific sleep needs of teachers and teaching assistants and anyone else that works in a school? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a tricky lifestyle. I think it's it's quite mm. unique in that you don't, as a teacher, you don't have maybe as much um, autonomy and control over your own time because you're bound by the school term and school school day. Um, so, as with all of my advice, um, <laughs> you need mm-hmm. to think about how you can personalise it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give any kind of rigid rules about what I think people should be doing, but it's really about how to apply some of this thinking to in a way that's going to suit you. Um, mm. I think one of the last things I just said was about that rest period. Um, between stopping and starting work that can have a huge impact um so making sure that you do have that downtime um so that you're not trying to squeeze sleep in that's something that certainly got worse with covid as well because those boundaries got a bit blurrier yeah. about when yeah. when work finishes and and begins again um i think an additional challenge for teachers especially is the term time versus school holiday um issue and um and for, for parents as well same thing you know you're during the school holidays, schedules shift massively, um, and that's not necessarily a terrible thing. But getting good sleep is really about having good patterns, um, daytime and nighttime patterns. Um, so, for teachers, same advice I'd be giving um, adolescents in particular is trying to keep those timings as similar as possible. Not rigidly, but you know, the, the, it's it's a lot easier for your body to get good sleep if you're sticking to a fairly uh, regular routine. The amount of time you're awake, while you're awake, your sleep drive is uh, is increasing all the time to the point where you can easily fall asleep. So if you start messing around with the time that you wake up, then your sleep drive shifts. So then the next day, you're much more likely to go to bed much later. And that's going to get worse and worse um, over the course of a school holiday, which is going to make it way harder when you suddenly have to get up at 7am on the first day of term. Um, (laughs) um, I think that there's, there's, so there's individual things that teachers can do for their own sleep, but I also think um, in terms of what it's like being a teacher and working with um, sleep deprived um, children and young people, there are things that, that teachers can be doing that can help those children, but will ultimately help you, um, be able to teach them more easily as well because of those yeah. outcomes that we talked about. You know, um, people who are sleep deprived are um, less able to regulate their emotions, less able to problem solve. So if we're addressing some of those needs, then actually teaching becomes easier as well and less stressful. Yeah. You're not dealing with as many behavioural issues in the classroom. Um, your uh, your students are likely to achieve better. Poor sleep is linked to lower school achievement. Um, one of the things if you, if teachers can factor this in, um, is to, I think it's maybe more, maybe it's easier for primary school than secondary school teachers is to consider the content and the style of what you're teaching during the day as well. Um, because school starts a bit too early for most people, um, those, that first hour or two of school, teachers and students included are probably all quite tired or a lot of them are quite tired. So actually that's, that's when we're um, at our low point in terms of ability to problem solve. Um, so hitting them with a really difficult maths lesson first thing in the morning, um, a lot of them are just not going to do as well at it and they're not going to enjoy it as much. So where there is capacity to shift around the school day, 
fantastic. Getting them out into the sunlight first thing in the morning, those sorts of things. Um, so there's some there's some uh, changes that can be made to, to the way that the school day is structured. And sometimes that could be for an individual teacher, but sometimes that could be more of a whole school approach. Um, also, just being really aware of what to look out for when it comes to school dif- uh, sleep difficulties, because I think you, you as teachers, you know your students in a really unique way. In a, um, as an ed- educational psychologist, um, I will only see any of those children a handful of times, so I don't know what normal is for any of them. Um, whereas you have the um, you have the benefit of seeing that child over the whole of the school year and see how things change for them, so you can really um, start to figure out. Is there a sleep difficulty here? Has how have things changed for this child? Yeah, really important points. Um, <laughs> so much, so many of these things. Like, what if we were actually taking the research and and the opinions of experts and applying it to the school day instead of kind of just carrying on with business as usual? Like, if we know imagine. this about <laughs> imagine, imagine if we know this about early morning sunlight, and if we know this about. Oh, I don't know other aspects of, of of learning and focus and concentration. Why aren't we applying them in schools? And yeah. that would be amazing to see, wouldn't it? More just getting children and staff out in the morning every morning, and what a difference that could make. Um, yeah. And your other point about routines, I, th- I think, is is really. Um, key as well and that's something that from my experience and people that I know have have experienced as well because I think like anyone you know late teens and early 20s yet you would kind of work or study during the week and then at the weekend you'd have some kind of big you know blowout wouldn't you and you'd be up and then it just you kind of really suffer for that on that Monday morning um whereas now even on a Friday or a Saturday you know you can get accused of being boring can't you but I still go to bed at the, or not every single weekend but most weekends still go to bed <laughs> at the same time you know 9 30 on a Friday night is a little bit sad but I'm okay with it because I enjoy my mornings <laughs> and it means <laughs> exactly exactly and if it means I can be up at six say I'm doing the thing that I do love doing which is being outside and reading my book or getting to the gym nice and early then 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 I think we should yeah if if you're a listener and you're thinking you know that kind of applies to me as well just have that kind of confidence and just um yeah just just be sure of yourself that yeah that that's fine I'm going to go with it yeah I've heard and tell people about it admit it yeah yeah exactly yeah (laughs) share it share it on social media but there are other people doing the same they just probably don't want to say it out loud either (laughs) exactly that's what it is isn't it for sure oh definitely Oh, well, uh, Nicola, you, you, you've covered so much. Um, and thank you so much again, again for your time. I think we've, we've talked about, um, children. We've, we've talked about us adults as well, working in the school, all the different, um, things that we can be thinking about just around that awareness, that individualization and all these different things are, are so, so important. So I'm, I'm just really, really pleased to get a sleep expert on the show and, and sharing all that information. Thanks. I love talking about sleep. So as you might be able to tell. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, And so as we kind of get to the end of our conversation, there's a couple of questions, as you've seen, um, that I like to always ask my guests. And the first one of those is your three tips to thrive, your kind of three top tips. Um, Are there three takeaways from this conversation that my audience can go away and apply today? And that doesn't have to be related to sleep necessarily, um, just anything around health and well-being that you would like to summarise at this point. Yeah, it's hard to narrow it down to three, but I've given it some <laughs> thoughts um, and uh, and I, I've picked three. Um, so I guess my top one really is learn about what you need. 
So if if you've if you've if any of your listeners have, have been um, reflecting on what we've been talking about here, um, it, this might be a good time to revisit what your own sleep needs are. Um, so are you giving yourself enough opportunity to get the kind of sleep that you need? Are you tired? Um, or are you just going for that eight hours a night goal or whatever it is you set for yourself? So really understanding what your own sleep needs are and, and taking a bit of time to to explore that. That would be my top tip. Um, the the second one I want to suggest is um, concentrating more on what you're doing when you're awake. So the more we learn about sleep, the more we know it's not just about what happens at night when you're not conscious. It's all the stuff you do during the day that leads into a good night's sleep. So all those things we've been talking about with your daytime routines, daylight, exercise, all of that stuff, having a break between stopping, starting work again, thinking about how to structure your day in a way that will lead to good sleep instead of just focusing on bedtime, bedtime routines, how many hours of sleep that you've had. So flip that around. Um, and the third thing I'd love to suggest is to um, just spend, for, for any teachers listening, to just spend a bit of time thinking about the students in your class and think about, um, are there any students that are now thinking could have some sleep needs that are not being addressed? Um, some of those different behaviours and um, learning difficulties that we were discussing earlier, could those things actually be linked to poor sleep? Um, in which case, maybe there's something different I could be doing to help them. Yeah. Oh, three really important tips. Thank you for sharing. And uh, kind of the, the second one really resonated with me. Um, it, it, it reminds me of a, another quote that I think I had. You know, we started this episode with a quote, and let's perhaps end one with a quote as well. But it was something around uh, a good night's sleep starts from the moment you wake up. And I guess that so kind of sums true. it up. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, it's about yeah. all the things that you do during the day. And you know, it's it's kind of like we can't expect to be running around and stressed all day. And then as soon as we put our head on the pillow, just lights out and fall asleep. And again, that that's, that's a wider conversation and not a, a, an easy fix or anything like that. The, the various reasons why people are sh- so stressed during the day. Um, but it's something to consider, isn't it? Well, what can you do to mi- minimize or manage and, and whatever kind of um, approaches that work for you? Um, yeah. that might be a kind of approach that you would take that you take to physical activity or that you take to just feeling more calm generally during the day might well have a, I think very likely will have a, a knock on effect on your sleep, won't they? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the final question that we finish off with is what's that one lesson you wish you had been taught when you were a child? I feel like this might feel seem obvious now, given some of the conversations we've had today. Um, <laughs> but I, I wish I'd been taught that sleep is something that's really individual. Um, as someone who was a poor sleeper throughout childhood, um, I had very sensible parents who tried to send me to bed at what they thought was the right time for me and tried to help me get the number of hours of sleep that they thought I needed. Um, but that, what that led to was lots of nights of, um, me, I I probably needed less sleep. In fact, Mm -hmm. I would think that's what was going on. Um, so I spent a lot of time lying in wake, not uh, awake in bed, not able to sleep. And that's something that feeds into chronic, uh, sleep problems. So I think, um, knowing earlier that something, that sleep is something that is really, um, personal, um, and understanding your own sleep needs better, um, probably would have led to a lot less sleepless nights for me. 
Yeah. Oh, it's one of those tricky ones, isn't it? I, I love the question, but then at the same time, it does make people look back and go, oh gosh, that was just, you know, the, the kind of pain that was caused. And, you know, I've answered that question myself and I've thought about it. And yeah, so many different things where you look back and go, oh, like the amount of, re- yeah. the, the amount of sleepless nights that you went through because of, of not knowing this stuff and through no fault of your own or anyone's fault. It's just one of those things, isn't it? But that's great to hear, mm-hmm. you know, your reflection thinking, right, it, it, it's personalized, it's individual. Don't compare yourself to friends, family and, and social media telling you exactly how much sleep you need and exactly what you need to do. You know, let's find yeah, what works yeah. for you. Love it. And it might have been a difficult, lots of sleepless nights for me, but it's uh, it certainly um, fueled my passion for sleep. And yeah. Um, and kind of brought me to the position I'm in at the moment where it's something I'm specializing in. So I have a lot of empathy for people who are not sleeping well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So before I let you go, um, can you let our listeners know where they can connect with you, you know, social media, website, anything that you'd like to mention here about how people can get in touch with you? Yep. Um, I would love to hear from your listeners. I love uh, having conversations about sleep, um, especially with people in schools because of all those things we've talked about, about the role of teachers, how impactful they can be. Um, My website is uh, www.thefamilysleepconsultant.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, I'm fairly new to the social media platforms at the moment, but what I'm hoping to do is to create some um, sense of community in those groups. And that's why I've set them up. So if people want to be part of a a conversation with with other teachers or other parents about sleep, um, then join those uh, those social media platforms because I will start, I will be starting to post more stuff on there about um, workshops and events and advice and stuff like that. Um, my website covers details about the kind of work I do, individual work with families, but also the ways that I can work with school as well. And there'll be um, stuff on there periodically about different workshops that I do. And there's a resources page with various um, other tips and things that people can check out, some interactive stuff that people can do on there. Oh, um, so, yeah, please have a look, um, but also get in touch with me as well, because I'm really open to um, collaborating with schools on this stuff. I I just think it's it's where the best work can be happening, really. So um, if, if anyone's in particularly interested in talking about what's happening in their school, um, yeah, especially get in touch with me. Fantastic. And I'll put all of those links in the show notes. So yeah, listeners, just just click on those. You'll be able to you'll be able to find all the links to Nicola's website and her social media as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you again for your time and I will let you enjoy the rest of your lovely looking break. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Samuel. <laughs> Okay, there you have it. Thank you again to Nicola for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, I hope it kind of answered any questions you might have about around sleep and perhaps inspired you to, to think more carefully about your individual sleep needs and, and what, you can do, what you can do to address this area of your well-being. As I mentioned at the end of the episode, all of the link, links to find out more um, from Nicola, uh, uh, the resources, Um, that she offers and the community that she is building as well Um, all of those links are in the show notes so do have a quick look at those if you did enjoy the episode then please share with friends family and colleagues who you think might be interested and also if you can take a couple of seconds to like the show on whatever app you're listening to this podcast to rate it to follow it that would be fantastic and it would really help me spread the word to more educators Thank you for tuning in 
and I look forward to bringing you another episode soon.